Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. Welcome to another edition of the Sports Rivals. I'm Monty, that's Ernie. Together, we're going to talk about the world of sports. Again, we are now fully into NFL training camps, some injury scares this week that we'll get to in a little bit. We're also going to get back to our list of the general managers and executives top 10 lifts by positions. We'll go through all the remaining offensive positions. Quarterback, wide receiver, tight end, and offensive line. But Ernie, we're going to start first with something that you've been waiting for for a long time. A little off script here. Jalen Brown is officially (laughs) signed to an extension. Yeah, unreal. I mean, I I really thought the the number was going to be less than... Three hundred thousand. That's where I thought yeah, the max. three hundred and four million dollars. Yeah, three hundred and four million dollars. It's uh, a good amount. And uh, during his pre- press conference, when he signed the amount, he brought in one of his nonprofits. You know, a bunch of kids that he's trying to take care of, uh, underprivileged kids in the Boston area. That uh, he says he feels he has the responsibility as an NBA player to make sure that this money goes to something long-lasting, something that goes way beyond his time on earth. So I'm glad that at least that uh, this contract, where a lot of people, you know, a lot of, not just basketball, but in most professional sports, where it goes directly to this, uh, the, the player who signed the contract, we know that, a good majority of them, not, I don't know if it's going to be the majority of the amount, but a good portion of the amount is going to go to, you know, the causes that, you know, Jalen Brown supports. So good on him. Yeah, I mean, Jalen Brown has always been very socially conscious, yeah. very much a philanthropist. So I'm glad he's going to use these resources um, for positive reasons. Because, again, if you're, you know, when you're blessed, be a blessing to others and he seems to really understand that so what i wanted to ask you though is 304 million dollars is a ton of is a ton of money (laughs) next year tatum is going to get more than that right so for me with this new collective bargaining agreement you're going to have two guys making over about combined maybe 630 million dollars over the next five years that's going to make it really hard to keep a strong supporting cast for the long haul for those five years. Do you think the Celtic window is closing, at least with this particular team? I would say they have this year and next year, maybe, um, before it's going to get awfully tough. They're going to have to start getting rid of ancillary pieces. Right, right, right. No, I agree with you. I think it's going to be this year at and, and definitely it's going to be next year. Jalen, that Jalen Brown contract doesn't actually kick in. It's an extension. So it doesn't even kick in until next year. This year, he's getting paid less than the likes of Tyler Hero, uh, Jordan Poole. He's getting let, paid less than those, those particular. Next year is when it kicks in. And when, uh, Jason Tatum signs his contract, it'll be the year after that. So those two seasons, I think they, they have enough room to keep at least a good portion of the core intact. It's going to be 
a matter of will they, you know, trade one of the two? Because I think what's going to happen is if they do not win a championship, Jalen Brown may find himself out of the Boston, Boston. Celtics. I, I think at this point, once you make that $304 million commitment, it would be surprising for me for them to trade him only because now you're going to have to take on $60 million in salary coming back. Right. So what is out there that would be worth the Celtics going after? Um, but one thing at a time, you know, let's see what, how the Celtics do. I think we both agree that they're probably going to be the favorites in the East, no matter what Milwaukee does at this point in time, they're a little bit older, uh, getting long in the tooth. Right. The Sixers, chaos with Harden. Uh, you kind of don't know what, what's going to happen there. Yeah, and the even if Dame goes to Miami, if they have to give up too many pieces, um, I would think at least the Celtics are one of the top two favorites in the East going into next year. So I, I do think, I think it's, it's, it's their time. I mean, I think if they're, if they lay a dud next year, I, I think there's going to be a lot of concern. I thought that was going to come this year with the firing of the coach after one year. Right. I think, well, that's really premature. Let's see how he does. He'll be 35 years old, his second year in coaching. Let's see how he does. But um, Ernie was getting stressed that this Jalen Brown thing was taking too long. We talked about this last week where I'm like, this may go until October if we're waiting on Dame. Lo and behold, a couple days later, $304 million. Boy, that must be nice to sign your name the, on a contract highest, that says $304 yeah, million. The, the highest. Well, part of that is, uh, part of the contract is the fact that the Boston Celtics are directly donating a part of that money to charity. But it's under his contract. That's how they were able to get it up to three hundred four. I believe based upon the percentage of that contract towards the the team's salary cap yeah. uh, is a little bit less than that. But so. the biggest contract in NBA, NBA history, yep. and not everybody can say that. So congratulations to Jalen Brown. Uh, that might be a trivia question down the road. Who signed the biggest contract in NBA history yeah. in the summer of 2023? <laughs> exactly, because in March... It'll be broken. <laughs> yeah, by someone else. So, again, that, that's really all the basketball. Nothing on Dame, nothing on Harden, nothing really else going on. But we did have to mention because that was giving Ernie stress for the last couple of weeks, months, actually, since the season ends. So, Ernie, let's talk about the World Cup. Again, not a lot of major surprises. I think the U.S. team, a disappointing outcome 1-1 against the Netherlands. They seem to play a little lackluster in the first half, played right. much better in the second half. Um, but I'm hearing a lot of questioning by former players and media pundits on the coaching philosophy of the U.S. coach because he made one substitution on Wednesday against the Netherlands. He brought Rosie Lavelle in at halftime, and that was it. And as much as they were keeping the pressure on late in the game, it was evident that Trinity Rodman, Sophie yes. Smith, those guys were gassed. And you had people that you could have brought on because the Netherlands was gassed uh, and he did it. And there was a lot of talk and chatter about that was a big mistake. And they're a little concerned going into tomorrow night's showdown with Portugal. The U.S., they don't have to win, but they can't lose if they lose, they're going to be out. So they're going to have to at least tie to stay in that top two. 
Um, but I'm looking forward to the U.S. playing their first really, really strong all-around game and beat Portugal. But uh, right now they're in a dogfight. One win, one tie. Yeah. No, I, uh, that first game, I think, uh, really didn't show the prowess of the United States. I, again, the, the shot count in that first game uh, against Vietnam was 30-0. to and we saw the highlights. I mean, the the highlights on the misses that could have easily have been a seven eight eight nil game. Uh, now the, against the Netherlands, Netherlands are a good team. Uh, like you said, those substitution questions. Who knows if that's going to be the game plan? I don't think the uh, you know the group play games are really that important. If you advance, I mean, we were talking off the air. Uh, if the smart way to do this for the United States is to actually come in second and try to avoid Sweden going into the knockout stage, being that Sweden is a, a top five uh, nation, you know, in this, in this women's world cup. So I'm not sure if that plays into the strategy of, uh, you know, the U S coaches philosophy in this game, but I, I, I am under the belief like you that uh, we're going to see the strength of the U S Unfortunately, against your Portugal team. Yeah, I mean that's totally fine it's because if they don't and they lose to Portugal, they're out. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna be out because Portugal will bypass them. So the the United States have to, at a minimum, secure a draw. And if they do, they will advance as either the one or the two seed. So let's go through the brackets as we speak right now. Uh, we'll go Group A. That one has finished already. They're the first group to have. Switzerland and Norway are advancing. Switzerland wins the group. Norway uh, comes in second because of goal differential. They had a plus five goal differential after last night's victory over the Philippines. Meanwhile, New Zealand won one one zero, lost one one zero, and tied zero zero. So New Zealand, great showing for them. Unfortunately, they do not advance. Switzerland and Norway move on. Group B. This one I'm fascinated about with uh, Nigeria's 3-2 upset win over host Australia. That sets up a match that's going to happen. We record Sunday nights. This is going to happen at midnight tonight. So by the time you hear this tomorrow, it'll be over. But Canada is playing Australia. Winner will advance. Loser will not. Yeah, goes home. So Australia is really under pressure that they have to win this game. Canada can can get away with a tie and still advance, but Australia has to win for a chance to advance. They can't tie with Canada because Canada has four points. Australia has three. And I think it'd be the first time in 20 years that Australia doesn't make it to the knockout rounds. And to have that happen at home when you're hosting would be really unfortunate because there's no doubt that the home team adds excitement to the World Cup. So I'm actually hoping that Australia can find a way to advance. But the surprising Nigeria team um, set up to win the group. All they have to do is beat the Republic of Ireland, and they're going to win that group, which is uh, I'm surprised by their their play. No, me too. I mean, they're not a bad team. I believe in the, the recent rankings, I think they're somewhere in the 30s around there. Uh, and again, like I mentioned earlier, I don't think this group stage play is where you really see the full power of everybody within your group. You know, so it might be just uh, that type of chance, you know, that uh, things are aligning for them. Uh, but good, good for them. 
good for them. And re- really, it's going to be bad on because we're going to see one uh, a good team, one uh, of the top 10, 11 yeah, teams in the exactly. world, a good team knocked out, knock, knocked out in in this stage. And you know, when, when you play with fire, I mean, it, to me, it's evident in this Women's World Cup. It wasn't like in previous passes where you would see. I I, I do remember an opening round game when you have a, when you're in group play that th- there were. High scores. I mean, high scores, even double-digit scores. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it expanded now. You 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 would think that uh, it would be even more so, but it's it hasn't. Yeah, it's been a little it, bit more parity. The, the world is the catching world, up the to world the powers. Catch, yeah, exactly. I, I I think with the advent of uh, well, you know, social media and whatnot, that uh, the sport of of women's football or women's soccer, if you want to call it that way, is, you know, making nations aware, making the public aware. And those number 30, number 40, number 50 teams, I mean, you're talking about like Nigeria 32, one. You're talking about the Philippines who upset uh, New Zealand. I think they were ranked 48. They won a game. They're catching up. They're catching up. Yeah, they don't play with fire. Don't play with fire. Top ten teams. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's go on to Group C. You already know that Spain and Japan are advancing. They are playing tonight as well. The winner will win the group. The loser will be the second seed. But they both advance. They're both two and zero. They already know that they're advancing. Group D. England uh, is ahead with uh, six points. Denmark and China there at three. Ernie had China advancing. I had Denmark advancing. So we will see what happens in that matchup. We'll see who is going to take that. That's going to be a situation where winner takes all as well. Right. Uh, there. China has to win. Denmark can tie and still advance. Group E, we already talked about it with the, the United States. They have the advantage there. Um, the Netherlands and the United States tied at four. U.S. has the goal differential there. So a victory over Portugal. Uh, as long as the Netherlands don't destroy Vietnam, we'll give the U.S. the group. Um, a loss by the U.S. would be an extremely disappointing finish for them and especially for Fox. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Group F, you have France who was, um This one is kind of interesting because you've got Brazil who lost. Um, so you've got France, you've got Jamaica, you've got Brazil, and you've got Panama. Three of those teams, it's France, Jamaica, and Brazil. Two of those three are going to make it right now, but it can be any one of the three. It's pretty, pretty interesting that both, um, well, France tied with, with Jamaica. Right. And then Brazil loses to Jamaica. Jamaica with a pretty good showing here. And then in group G, Sweden seems to be thoroughly dominating. Uh, in this group, they look really impressive with a plus six goal differential so far. They're going to take the group. Uh, and then it's going to be a matter of who's going to be that second one. Right now it's Italy. But if they lose, South Africa or Argentina could pass them with victories in the last round. And then Group H, surprising Colombia, knocks off Germany yesterday 2-1. So Colombia has six points leading the group. Germany and Morocco at three. South Korea has zero they're not going to make it out of this round. Um, but Colombia, I am, I was shocked when they beat Germany because Germany is the number two, two yeah. ranked team two. in the world. Colombia took care of them. Now you have a situation that it's going to be Germany or Morocco. I would expect German, 
uh, the German team to bounce back. But another good showing by an African team with right. Morocco playing really, really well so far in the in this World Cup. Yeah, and 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 you you know you're you're getting it from like I said these smaller teams. Uh, there are eight debutante teams uh, in this World Cup. Uh, again, they, uh, I'm not sure if they expanded by eight. Did they expand by eight? Yes, they went so, from 24 to 32. Yeah. So again, there were, so there, so that, that explains the eight debutante teams that were, uh, first time in the World Cup. And, and it's good. I think this, this shows well. Uh, and I, like I said, I think this is going to give more, uh, light to, to the sport from the women's side. Uh, and I think this is an eye-opener. I think when the big teams look back in regards to their group play wins and they, they see the consistency as far as, you know, we're supposed to, why didn't we beat, why didn't USA beat Vietnam by 10? You know, why, why did Colombia beat Germany? You know, why did Nigeria give everybody such a hard time? Why is Jamaica giving everybody such a hard time? They're going to... uh I, I would expect that the next World Cup, that the mindset's going to change. Yeah, and yeah. that's a good thing. I mean, a more competitive balance. It's good for the sport. It's not good if you're a USA fan. That It's going to get harder for them. They've been dominant, the number one team for 10 years now. Back-to-back um, -back World Cup champions. But it's going to be a lot harder going forward um, I, I, for, I, the, for the women's national team. You know team. what? I like it. I, I, I liken this to the dream team back you know, the dream team number one, when they flat out destroyed everybody. Yeah. But for the, you know, for the Olympics now, I like it when it's competitive. You know, I really like, I really like it when, you know, they got to put out an effort and they know that they cannot just play uh, Harlem Globetrotter basketball and cruise to a victory. And that's what this is. The, the, the name brand team that are in there year in and year out. They're seeing that talent gap close, and it's it's a, in my opinion, it's a lot more exciting, at least in these group play matches. Yeah, it has been. So let's transition again. That's Ernie Imonti. We are the sports rivals. I want to talk a little bit about Major League Baseball. The big news this week: trade deadline is by the time you listen to this is today, July thirty first is the trade deadline. The Angels made a big call last week, saying we are not going to trade Shohei Otani. He's going to stay. Instead, they have become buyers. They acquired Lucas Giolito, uh, the number one, well, what was supposed to have been the number one available starting pitcher. The Angels got him last week. Today, just now, they pick up an outfielder, uh, Grychuk, and a first baseman, Crone, from the Colorado Rockies. So they're solidifying their offense. Um Shohei was a little struggling on, on the mound, but as soon as they said they weren't going to trade him, he seemed to relax. Last week, he had probably the most, if not the most phenomenal day in the history of the Major League Baseball. It's got to be up there. In game one of a double hitter against the Detroit Tigers, Ernie, he pitches a complete game, one hitter, striking out 10, his first complete game shutout ever. In game two, he hits two home runs. <laughs> to lead the Angels uh, to a victory there. So he continues to be a phenomenon. 39 home runs now. Guarantee he's going to be the MVP yeah. of, of the American League. So with Shohei off the market, there's not a whole lot going on, except for the Texas Rangers. They have been 
extremely aggressive. They are all this Chapman they picked up about a month ago. Yesterday, they go out and they land Max Scherzer, um, giving up a couple of, a couple of prospects. Uh, surprisingly, the Mets jettisoned him off. He picks up his option for next year. The Rangers got nothing but cash. So they have a tremendous amount of money. Then today, they make a deal with the St. Louis Cardinals taking Jordan Montgomery from the St. Louis Cardinals. So they're really bolstering their starting pitching for the fact that Jacob deGrom, their number one pitcher that they signed in the offseason, had Tommy John surgery and is out through the middle of next year. So the Texas Rangers are really active. But my Dodgers have made a couple of really small trades um, nothing really major, but the Dodgers have fallen on hard times this week. They've lost five out of six games this week, six out of seven overall. Um, and I just, again, I'm happy that they're not making ludicrous trades, trading all of their future star assets right. um, to chase a championship this year. Because we talked about this before. I don't really think the Dodgers are a championship team this year. So I'm glad that they're kind of hanging on to that. But... With 24 hours to go in the trade deadline, your Cardinals are sellers. I know the Dodgers and Cardinals, Ernie, have been talking all week long about a Nolan Arenado trade. I, 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 but the Cardinals are demanding the Dodgers' best prospect pitcher, and the Dodgers so far have said no. Um, so with 24 hours to go, does that deal get done? Depends. I, if To me, it, it the money's on the – I mean, the – the cards are on the table as far as... Yeah, I mean, the, the Dodgers would have a choice. And I don't think Nolan Arenado is the difference in in getting the Dodgers to the promised land. Their pitching is atrocious right now. And I think that's the biggest, the biggest issue. I think people would be surprised that this Dodger team is averaging the third most runs in the history of the Dodgers. The 1930 team was number one. The 1953 team was number two. And this team is averaging the third most runs per game of any team in history. We don't need more offense. We need pitching. So to give up pitching to get more offense doesn't make sense to me. I hope the Dodgers stand pat. We shall see, Ernie, in 24 hours. We shall see. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and the Cardinals, it's so weird. The Cardinals are sellers. They're, they're always not, uh, buyers. But this year they're no, sellers. They're, but they're smart because they're getting rid of all these guys that, yeah. are, that are going to be free agents. So they're getting something for these people rather than just that, letting them walk. I mean, that, that that's that's the mode. They're 13 games below 500. I mean, the season is pretty much uh, down. I mean, the, the only positive that I can see is they're – Last week they were eleven and a half games back. This year, this week they're ten and a half games back. Just still in, they're still in last last place, you know, in that that particular division. And uh, you know, the future right now, like I said, it doesn't look bright. I think it needs to be uh, a mold where you know they rebuild this team. And if the if they know if their farm system is strong enough. They're going to have to pick and choose from other teams' farm system just to, you know, I guess rebuild from the ground up. It's got to be organic. I don't think the Cardinals have ever been a team where they just buy their way. They're, they're not one of those big, big market teams. Like the, they won't outbid the Dodgers. They won't outbid the Mets. You know, those are, they're not going to, they're not going to, they're not going to win their champions that way. It's got to be built from ground up as they have been in the past. So, you know, it, it, it might be a while, you know. 
it's gonna it's gonna make me suffer a little bit, but I think it's gonna be it's better gonna be in the a long run. run. Well, there are there have always been a well-run organization, so I think they're gonna be just fine. So let's transition now to the NFL. Just a quick comment on some major injuries. Big scare in Cincinnati when Joe Burrow went down, got carted off earlier this week with a calf strain. Luckily, it was just a calf strain. I don't think you're going to see him at all for the remainder of training camp. They'll somehow find him, uh, try to get him ready for the start of the season. But Ernie, if you, if you recall with Joe Burrow, he's never had a, a camp in preseason. Yeah. His second year, he was recovering from the ACL, so they were bringing him back slowly. Last year, he had appendicitis. He had an appendectomy. He missed all the training camp. And the first game of the year against your Steelers, five interceptions. And then now he's going to miss miss it again. So will it impact him? I think the difference with this year and last year, last year, the appendectomy, he lost 20 pounds. He had to get his strength back. I think in this particular case, it's just a matter of being patient with the muscle healing but you can stay active. You can still do uh, reps. You can still do, keep yourself strong. It's not quite like last year, but that was a big scare. And then Jalen Ramsey, um, my former Ram, traded to the Dolphins this year. Big expectations for him. Completely torn meniscus. meniscus yeah. Had surgery earlier this week. Will be out until December, meaning he's going to miss most of the regular season, uh, which is a tough blow. Miami responds by signing Eli Apple, but there's a big difference between Eli Apple now and Jalen Ramsey. Oh, so I, the, down there in Miami, they have to be a little bit disappointed. And then one more bit of, bit of news. I know I know Ernie's excited that the, the Steelers signed Quan Alexander, but I don't think none of us really care about that other than Ernie. <laughs> but Ernie, I want your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers giving back $30 million, reworking his contract taking $30 million less this year and next year to free up more money to go out and sign a stronger team around him. Yeah, I was shocked. I was shocked too, but then he's following the Brady example, in my opinion, where Brady took less money in order to make you know the pieces around him fit. I think he knows. The guy is 39 years old. I don't think he's going to last as long as Brady, in my opinion. I think he knows he's on the declining part of you know of his playing career. It needs to happen. If not this year, it'll happen. Needs to happen next year. I think once he hits into the forties, uh, there's going to be major differences. The decline will be fast and furious. So it has to happen now. Uh, uh, I'm shocked, but I'm not surprised. Just because this uh, the Brady uh, model, if you want to call that. It has worked. Yeah. And Aaron Rodgers has made a lot of money in the NFL. And if I think he translates to the booth more so than Brady, and look how much Brady is making in the booth. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think my, my surprise with the whole Aaron Rodgers situation for the Jets, you have to be ecstatic because now it looks like Dalvin Cook is going to sign with the New York Jets. Now, why they need him when they have Brees Hall coming back? And, and, uh, I don't really know, but if that's why you freed up money, more power to it. I think the Jets need insurance on that offensive line. I think that's the number one thing they me need too. to take care of with this money. But here's the part that surprises me. It seems to reek of just kind of like vengeance because if he was willing to take less money to get a better surrounding cast, 
Why didn't he do so in Green Bay? Respect. In Green Bay, he was angry at them. He wanted the maximum amount of money. Because they drafted Jordan Love, he wanted the $58 million contract, which he got. But because of that, they had to let Devontae Adams go, which he was upset about. But you can't have both. So if he would have been willing to take less, he could have kept Devontae Adams. He could have kept some of the other assets that was leaving. So to me, what we're seeing with Aaron Rodgers in the New York Jets camp so far is a completely different person than what we saw in Green Bay over the last couple of years. He's interacting with fans. He's interacting with teammates. He's a team-oriented player. Um, that hasn't been seen out of Aaron Rodgers in the last two, three years. If that continues, the Jets are going to be a problem. You, I think they already are a problem. And I think it all comes down to respect. And that's why Aaron Rodgers is doing what he's doing now. And he didn't do it. It all came down to the, the part when, uh, several years ago when he said, they're not consulting me. They're not consulting me in regards to, uh, our current roster. If you can remember that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are a lot of quarterbacks or high profile NFL players that were at least given the ear in regards to, uh, you know, how they're going to be building the rosters. That never happened in Green Bay, you know, and then it became a part, then it be, became a partial on how he was valued in Green Bay, mm-hmm. you know, as far as what his worth was, you know, and I think if Green Bay, uh, pay more attention to that instead of just treating him like a number. I think he would have. Guy's a smart guy. Yeah. Well, there's um, no he, doubt. I mean, he's a prickly personality, and there's no doubt that yeah. he went prickly on Green Bay. Yeah. Um, but he's happy in New York, and he's giving New York the best version of himself. And if he can be on the field, eighty percent of what he was in the back-to-back, um. MVP seasons recently, the Jets are going to be a problem because the Jets, you remember, were in seven and 10, lost a ton of games with hopeless quarterback play. Now you have Aaron Rodgers. The defense is back fully intact. They're only going to be better, should be better this year. Um, as all these young players get one more year of experience, Garrett Wilson should be better. You bring in Alan Lazard, you know, you bring in all of these assets. Now you might add Delvin Cook. Um, they got to be excited in New York, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm a New York Jets fan, you know. Jets, Jets, Jets. Let's yeah. go. I, you know what? I would love to see them advance. So let's, Ernie, let's go back to this list of top tens. Last week, you guys remember, we talked about the running back position. Uh, we talked about, um, and then I kind of carried that through into the talk about running backs uh, and their contract situations. But let's start with the quarterback position. Let's rattle off this list real quick and then we'll get comments because I don't really have a lot of issue here. Patrick Mahomes, number one, Joe Burrow, two, Josh Allen, three, the aforementioned Aaron Rodgers, four, Justin Herbert, five. He's now the highest paid quarterback in NFL history with his five year, $262.5 million contract. Jalen Hurts at six, Lamar Jackson, seven, Trevor Lawrence, eight, Dak Prescott, nine, Matt Stafford, 10. So let's get your take on this top 10 list. Anything egregious there for you? Top three are top three. I mean, to me, uh, those are the most important uh, parts of any list. And I think they got them dead on straight. I don't think there's any argument with that. Uh, Having Aaron Rodgers there at number four, even though I I lauded him just, you know, a few minutes ago. Uh, he's on the, the climbing part of his career. I don't think he belongs at four. I think Justin Hurt, 
Herbert is, uh, you know, I would rank him a little bit higher than that. I'm surprised that Dak Prescott actually made the top 10. Uh, Matt Stafford, just based upon career numbers, is better than him. And if you look just at last year, uh, your former quarterback, Goff, actually had statistically mm-hmm. had a way better year than either of the two quarterbacks over there. Trevor Lawrence had a terrific year, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and he's definitely ascending. He, yeah. And he, yeah, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll be above where he is right now. Lamar Jackson, I think that's just based upon, you know, years past. He's a past mm-hmm. MVP, but, uh, you know what? It really depends this year. I can't, I won't argue. I'm, uh, I mean, I could easily see, like I said, Goff being in there. I mean, I could yeah. even see Tua being in yeah. there. And I think that's the thing. I mean, I think once you get towards the end, it, you're you're kind of just yeah. It's kind of just more personal preference. I don't see Dak Prescott as a top ten quarterback. Yeah, I never have really seen him as a top ten quarterback. But this is where I think when you're talking to executives and you're talking to GMs, this is where his likability, his intangibles, his leadership, I think, gives him extra credit because his actual production does not align with a top 10 quarterback. Their one loss record does, but it really hasn't been about Dak. Every time it has to be Dak, that's when they fail. You know, they're at their best when they're running the football, playing good defense. So, uh, I mean, it is what it is. If you're a Cowboy fan, yes, you expect Dak Prescott to be there. If you're a Hawaii fan, you expect Tua Tonga-Vailoa to be in that slot um, for sure, although he has injury history. So nothing real of an issue there. Patrick Mahomes, to me, clearly number one. Joe Burrow, clearly number two. Uh, and then that's where it can get fuzzy for me. Josh Allen has been the third best, but he had some regression at the end of the last year. And if he doesn't stop running the ball like he has for the first four or five years of his career, he's going to have a Cam Newton moment and he's going to fall off a cliff in the next few years because he's taking a beating. Yeah. Let's go to wide receiver. So this one, there's so much talent at wide receiver that it's easy to say, you know, are we missing anyone, whatever. But I think the general consensus is that the top five or six guys are always going to be the top five or six guys. In this particular list, they have J.J., Justin Jefferson at one, Devontae Adams at two, Jamar Chase at three, Tyreek Hill at four, Cooper Cup at five, Stephon Diggs six. Those are always, for the last few years, going to be your top six. Then you get A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, and C.D. Lamb. Those last four, probably not A.J. Brown. I think he kind of firmly established himself as a top 10. But D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, C.D. Lamb, good players. But you can make arguments for other people in those slots as well. Easily. Especially D. I mean, I like D.K. Metcalf. <laughs> he's not a top 10 wide receiver. I don't even think he's a top 15 wide receiver. You look at his stats, you know, going back. I mean, the guy is supposed to be a deep threat guy, you know. Uh, his deep threat numbers are near the bottom of the NFL. I mean, the guy is big. The guy is fast. I mean, it's, he's a, he's basically a tight end body in uh, a sprinter's, uh, athletic frame as far as, you know, how he runs. Uh, he's not the best route runner, but he just gets the job done. But to be on this list, uh, I, I could name five players right now that are, I mean, I, I, where's, where's, uh, I mean, OBJ has fallen off because of his injuries, but I even think OBJ right now is better than DK Metcalf. 
I mean, as far as Justin Jefferson, I can see how he, he could be number one. I would have trouble putting him at number one. Uh, to me, I, I still like Tyreek Hill. I think as far as getting him the ball, you know, I think he's one of the reasons for the ascension of Tua Tango Bailoa. Uh, I mean, I think you could tell Matt, uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes that, you know, once he left that Kansas City team that they lost a lot with him. Uh, Justin Jefferson had a tremendous start to last year. He kind of faded towards the ending part of uh, 2023, but I, uh, you know, and Devontae Adams probably had one of his better years in his career. Uh, I don't know how long that's going to last as far as the Raiders are concerned. Uh, they have Jamar Chase as a, as a third. To me, Jamar Chase is your OBJ. You know, a lot of talent. I don't know if the commitment's going to be there. You know, I like Cooper Cup. I think Cooper Cup should be higher on this list. I think what he's done, uh, when you can surround them with the right pieces, he'll definitely take advantage of that. Well, last year he was number one, but he missed most of last season. So I get him dropping. But let's not forget, two years ago, he won the triple crown at wide receiver. To me, he's still being, to me, he's still being underrated as far as, uh, you know, what he, what he can, what he can produce. And this, in my opinion, this receiver, uh, ranking over here is much more compressed as far as the, the difference between number one and number 10. And not to say C.D. Lamb is going to be that number 10. In my eyes, uh, you got five other players that could be, mm-hmm. you know, in that particular yeah, There's a position. lot of talent at wide receiver. So, yeah, this one, this one, I mean, it is it is an objective rating, but it's subjective based on what, you're, what you think makes a great uh, wide receiver. So, I agree. I mean, I don't have a problem with the top seven, the back three. I don't have a huge problem, but I can see a number, the Jalen Waddles, the Devontae Smiths, yeah. uh, Debo Samuel. You know, there there are many people that, that could be uh, have a Amon, solid argument. I'm going to give you another. Amon St. Brown, to yep. me, the most underrated wide receiver in the NFL. Well, if Detroit does what they did at the end of last year for a full season this year, he'll get a lot of credit. He'll get a lot of press and he'll move on. So let's go on to the tight end because this is where we first see a Pittsburgh Steeler. But let's start at the top. Uh, number one, Travis Kelsey. No argument no there. Argument. He's taking care of business, beating up people in uh, training camp so far this week. George Kittle at two. Mark Andrews at three. Dallas uh, Goddard at four. Darren Waller, five. TJ Hawkinson, six. Kyle Pitts, seven, Evan Ingram, eight, Pat Fearmuth, nine, go Steelers, and uh, and Knox, Dawson Knox there at 10. So no doubt Travis Kelsey is number one. Kittles is a difference maker, but he tends to get hurt a lot. I would probably have Mark Andrews at two for me personally. Other than that, I think Kyle Pitts has the highest upside and the most potential. Um, your thoughts? Dallas Goddard, as as with most of the Philadelphia Eagles, other than A.J. Brown, are rated too high. He is not the fourth best tight end. I mean, Darren, T.J. Hawkinson, who's only been in the league two years, just from a statistical uh, standpoint, had a better last year than uh, Dallas Goddard had, if you took line by line, year by year, the statistics. I mean, the guy hasn't had more than 60 catches in any given year. 
hasn't had more than seven touchdowns in any given year. How can that be your fourth best tight end? To me, uh, I would say burgeoning on number 10, but at number four, I, I, I'm, that's a head scratcher for me. Okay, uh, the rest I don't really have an issue with. I think Kyle Pitts has the potential. Whether Desmond Ritter will allow him to excel, he's a freak athlete. I think both of us expect big things out of him. Yeah. But you got to have the right quarterback. Imagine if he was playing with Patrick Mahomes yeah, and, or and, a Justin yeah. Herbert yeah. or a Joe Burrow. And he's um, been injured. Yeah, and he has been injured. But tell me a little bit about Pratt Fearmouth. I mean, number nine is a pretty good for him. You love him. I love him. Um, because he was on my fantasy team last year. Um, but productivity wise, I still think he can take a leap forward. He, he will. I, I think he'll be a top five tight end when this list happens next year. Yeah. I just wish he could block better. I mean, blocking is the weakest part of his game as with it is with uh, most, most of, of these, these guys. Most of these guys. I mean, pass catching has been, uh, the you know, priority for the, the tight end prior, position. Yeah. Yep. Now, he's not a bad blocker, but I wish he could be a, a better blocker. But he'll have a, I mean, last year, his first, his rookie year, he had seven touchdowns. It kind of dwindled down, which, which was it. I don't, it's got to be the Kenny Pickett effect. Yeah. I mean, going, you went going from, from Roethlisberger right, to Kenny exactly. Pickett. And I think as Kenny Pickett matures, you know, he's, and it looked like towards the ending part of the year, you know, that they kind of built the chemistry over there. You know, I think that that his numbers will improve. He got 60 balls, I believe, his first year, 62 last year in playing one less game. Uh, he's going to be he'll be good. Yeah, I think so. I mean, for me next year, you, you'll see you'll have Travis Kelsey, Andrews, Pitts, Freermuth, uh, and probably Kittles if he can just stay healthy. Yeah, he's, a, he's a freak there. So on the offensive line, I don't pretend, Ernie, to be an aficionado you and me. of offensive linemen. So I am going to kind of defer to what they say. <clears throat> number one, Trent Williams, I think widely regarded as the top left tackle for a number of years. Laramie Tunzel from the Texans at two. Tristan Wirfs from Tampa Bay at three. Then back-to-back Eagles with Lane Johnson and Jordan Mailata. At four and five, Panay Sewell at six, Andrew Thomas, who just signed the biggest contract for an offensive tackle in history this week. At seven, Rashawn Slater at eight, injury uh, filled season last year, but he's back there at eight. Christian Darasaw from the Vikings at nine, Colton Miller from the Raiders at 10. I don't really have a strong opinion here. Trent Williams, I think it's Trent Williams and Laramie Tunzel have been widely considered the top two. The Eagle tackles are a big part of the reason why the Eagle offensive line has been so dominant over right. the last few years. Um, Panay Sewell, I think, is a freak and, and he's ascending. I think he's going to end up being um, the heir apparent to Trent Williams eventually as the top left tackle. Could be. Could be. And, and you he's know on what? the right I, side I, now. I got to apologize because when, when we had our, our NFL draft predictions, I, I kind of dogged him coming out of Oregon. You know, I just didn't think that uh, I thought the competition wasn't, you know, up to NFL par in the Pac-10 at the point. But he's he's proven me wrong. I mean, he's not, he's, he's on this. And like you, I think it's, uh, you know, when you get to the offensive line, it's more or less uh, the antithesis of the other positions on the offense. The less you know about these guys, the more you, the better they are because you only see the bad stuff when it comes to offensive line. Yeah. 
You that that's all. If you don't see the offensive linemen, and that it really doesn't make a difference. You know that they're doing their job. It's when you know these guys when their names get called up, it's probably because of a mistake they made. Yep. So absolutely. So I, I'm gonna be like you. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna default to this list. Uh, that they, but they know more, more more about me. Pro football focus. I'm sure probably agrees with them on uh, you know in regards to this list. And we'll just go from there. Yep. But one thing that was quickly evident on this list, no Rams. I mean, our offensive line sucks. So there's no Rams. <laughs> and then there's no Steelers. No Steelers. See, but Ernie believes in the Steelers offensive line improving this year. Well, uh, I think the Rams offensive line will improve. I don't know how you go backwards from last year. <laughs> Play with nobody. I mean, that's basically what was happening last year. So let's go to the interior of the offensive line. This this group has uh, 10 people. It could be either a center or a guard. You start off with number one, Zach Martin, a lock Hall of Famer. He's holding out right now with the Dallas Cowboys. Joe Tooney from uh, Kansas City at two. Quinton Nelson. At three, Eldon Jenkins. People might be surprised that he's there, but the Green Bay offensive lineman has been great. Joel Bettinio from the Browns. Uh, Jason Kelsey, again, from the Eagles. Chris Lindstrom from the Falcons. Creed Humphrey from Kansas City. Brandon Sheriff and Frank Ragnow, the center for Detroit, round off that top 10. Again, no Rams, no Steelers here. And the interior of the offensive line, even more than the outside guys, I have really no idea who's good or not. All I know is the centers that dominate and are great leaders, their teams are usually good. Yeah. Like Creed Humphrey, like Jason Kelsey, um, Joe Tooney up there. You know, these great centers really make a big difference over the success of an offense because they are the leaders on that offensive line. Um, and the Rams center sucks, Ernie. Brian Allen sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Any comments on this list? Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to say it because the Steelers have, they're going to have three, three, uh, Hall of Fame centers in the last, you know, in, I would say the last 30 years, you know, going back to Webster, Webster and Dawson, Dermonte Dawson, you know, and then the most recent, <clears throat> Most recently, Marquise Pouncey, mm-hmm. you know, in three years, I'm sure he'll be a first ballot Hall of Fame. Uh, and right now, they don't have anybody right now. Uh, Cole Mason, who they brought in from um, the Minnesota Vikings, is their stopgap solution. He's all right, but, you know, you're you're correct in that, you know, that correlation regards good centers, great teams. I And I think that's something that uh, needs to happen. We'll see. I believe... Uh, you know, you jokingly said that none of our teams have, uh, is represented in, you know, either office of tackle or center, but I believe in the line and I believe in our first round draft pick for this year. I think, I, I think, uh, it won't happen immediately, but I think he, he's going to be the next one who will be a mainstay in the offensive tackle side. Uh, and it needs to be that way because you know what? The run game doesn't happen. The passing game doesn't happen. These guys are unsung heroes. That's why they get paid the big bucks, even though you don't know their names. Yep, exactly. And Creed Humphrey, I still curse him for you, not being, you not and me. being with the, the Rams, took 2-2 Atwell over Creed Humphrey. He we should have taken him. He was in the second round. He should have solidified the Rams line. 2-2 has been a disaster the first two years, but 
Tutu will be the most improved player in the NFL this year. He's going to go for 1,500 yards and 26 <laughs> touchdowns for the Rams. <laughs> All right, Ernie, let's transition. I'm going to turn this back over to Ernie for his closing thought. For that, I believe we're going to go back down under and talk a little bit World Cup soccer. Yeah, I'm just going to touch bases in regards to the, uh, the Philippine women's national team uh, in regards to the World Cup. Their first ever World Cup, their first ever win, their first ever goal. And, uh, you know, going into this World Cup, I, I, I really didn't have much, uh, to, much excitement, if you want to call that, in regards to, uh, how much success they would have. To me, as long as they kept everything close, that would have been a win for me. So for them to actually keep it close with Sweden, actually almost being able to score the first goal, if not for, uh, um, you know, and, and offsides, you know, they're, Second game win against New Zealand. Yeah, the host in, team. In New Zealand, with the New Zealand crowd there, uh, that was exciting. My wife, who really doesn't watch any soccer at all other than when my girls played, was drilled into that TV and on pins and needles over the last 10, 15 minutes as, you know, the Philippine women were trying to hang on to that victory and New Zealand was... uh you know, doing their best to uh, tie up that match. But my thought on this is not on my excitement for the game. It's the lack of excitement coming from some of the in, in, uh, somewhat disappointing fashion. Some of the Filipino, uh, the people in the Philippines not really embracing soccer. And I know soccer isn't really big in the Philippines. Boxing is their uh, pastime as well as basketball. It's a very big basketball nation, which is surprising being that most Filipinos are short. <laughs> but, but you know. Uh, J.J. Mandelit from Hilo on the U.S. under-16 <laughs> under national team, baby. Maybe. When you got to go down to Hilo to have representation, that's not, that's not usually a good thing. But anyways, getting back to my final thought. Uh, I was looking on YouTube as I usually do after these big games. And it was surprising to see some of these comments as you roll into the comment sections on YouTube. And these were coming from some people who were Filipino because they're, they were uh, <coughs> responding in Tagalog, which is the Philippine national language. And it was very surprising that uh, there were some, not all, but, the, but there were some that were saying that this is not really our team. You know, we shouldn't be excited. You know, congratulations, 18 U.S. women born uh, that, that are half Philippines. How can we call this our own team? And that, that really struck me, struck a chord with me. It, re, it, 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 it almost hurt because I, went, I had to think back. And it, I said, okay, yeah, they, they were born in the U.S., but they're... One of their parents was pure Filipino. I think that's part of the FIFA rule that you gotta be at least 50% of that country's heritage in order to participate in this game. And I don't think there's any limitations in regards to how many players you can have out of that uh, uh, on your squad. So they met the FIFA requirement, you know, as far as, you know, having those players on their team. And uh, to me, when it comes to sports, it's, the national pride that this brings uh, 
to your country should be reward enough. I mean, I, I, I was proud when I was watching that game. I was, I was actually, you know, I had goosebumps, you know, when uh, Serena Bolden hit that header into the goal, you know, and, and they, they got that lead. And then when they were hanging on for dear life, I, you know, I, I felt my legs tense up because, uh, you know, I, I couldn't relax and everything. And then to see these comments, you know, coming from, you know, people from the Philippines, uh, I guess was a little bit disappointing because if, if, if you look at Lionel Messi, who plays for Argentina, he's of German ethnicity. <laughs> there, there's no Messi. Messi's a German name. Okay. Uh, Mbappe is not French. Okay. He's not French. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Uh, we're in a world right now in a day and age where it, very easily you can scan how many countries. You go to Europe, you can visit three, four countries in a day if you want. I mean, it, it, it's it's that close. Uh, the internet and the advent of social media and whatnot makes that even closer. You know, so you drawing the line in regards to Oh, they're not pure Filipino. They're, you know, they can't even speak the language and whatnot. To me, that is very petty in regards to when what they're doing is actually. They, I watched the beginning of the game and when, and when they were going through the uh, the Philippine national anthem, I had chills. And at the end, uh, I can't remember. I think her name was Hallie. I can't remember her last name, but she cried. You know, and she was one of the players that were born in America. You know, she was one of the players that were born in America. And, you know, I, I, I feel real bad for, for Queenly Quezada because she's pure Filipino as far as an assess, uh, ethnicity is concerned. Both her parents just migrated, uh, immigrated to the, the United States. They also, they, and they have several players like that. Both parents are Filipino. They just moved to the United States. And you know what? The United States, for me, I am Filipino. My father's Filipino. My mom's Filipino. They came here because of opportunity. America was built on that. No one, if you're not Native American Indian, that's why your ancestors came to the United States for opportunity. They didn't come, oh, a nice vacation. Let's stay here and build a life. Most of, if you can trace your ancestries back, I mean, I'm pretty much sure. Uh, Number one, number two, or whatnot, it's going to be up there. It's because of opportunity. And, and if you're going to use that and, and displace that and say that, you know what? You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have been stayed in the Philippines and, uh, you know, played soccer here. Who knows? They may never have played soccer no matter what. The, their ability to play soccer was because they had the opportunity. China in ping pong. If you looked at the gold, silver, and bronze medalists, all their last names are Chinese. They just happen to play for different countries because the, their opportunity to get good in that sport comes from China. I mean, I just don't see the problem. And, uh, I know I'm ranting on top of this and, and I know it's a small majority and I'm probably preaching to the choir because if you love sports, I think you can, uh, you're probably lean towards my side on this view, but it's very disappointing, you know, when it, especially for me, you know, uh, who, who is Filipino American? 
that you see these comments and it's it, it, it kind of hurts to see that there's still that mindset out there that can't fully embrace uh you know this world cup for the philippine uh, national team i'm i'm they lost 6-0 you know this last game and and if you don't if you're not used to soccer 6-0 is a big score but i was still i watched it from beginning to the end and i kept on cheering you know and whatnot and i was still proud of, and i was still proud of them at at the end because you know they only have three players that really play for for professional teams all of them play college but you know i I'd be, it'd be far stretched for me to say that they were probably the, the best player on their college soccer teams. You know, they may have been an average player and, you know, an average starter on their team. Yet they took the opportunity to say, you know what? I'm half Filipino. <clears throat> I have this opportunity to play in the World Cup. And it was no guarantee that they would have made the World Cup. But I, they still took the time and effort to play for this team. You know, under the Philippine national flag, and I think that should be so. That, that that to me, that's enough. That is enough commitment. I mean, that you should be, uh, you know, commending these women for because they could have done something else. They didn't have to fly halfway around the world to play for another country. And again, I'm just ranting and and whatnot at this point, but. I don't know. Do you think I'm overstating it in this part? Well, I mean, I talked to Ernie about this off the air, so. I, I do have a slightly different take. I do agree that I think they bring pride. Like if, if you cannot see their resiliency, their effort, their victory as bringing pride to the nation uh, of, of in the Philippines, then you're probably missing the boat. However, there's always going to be people that have a tremendous amount of nationalism, national pride. We have that in all countries. And I think to some the people that may be the most vocal here, they could be thinking things along the lines of, you know, those 18 American-born players, that one Norwegian-born player, that one Australian-born player, they literally took 20 spots from real Filipino players. Now, those real Filipino players would have been on the team if they were good enough to make it. However, I think there's going to be some people that have that nationalistic approach that would be, i rather go down with all Filipino-born, Filipino living in our country, true Philippine Filipinos, and go down and lose than take on the all the world's players and have them represent our country. So right or wrong, I think that's where those people are coming from. Um, and... I get it, though, from your perspective, because you have a tremendous pride in, in the, this particular Philippine national team. Uh, and then we can relate. I mean, your daughters could be on this Philippine national team. Right. And, I mean, and, just and, like just like one of these girls, your daughters fit the whole profile to realistically have been able to play on this team. So I, I, I totally get it. Like I said, it's not right or wrong. Uh, I don't necessarily care who's on it, but I can understand why these really strong nationalistic type people would feel like it's not the Philippines if they're all American, especially when they're all American, because there's always a resentment of America around the world. There are people who love America. There's a lot of people who hate America. And I think that's probably who's making these vocal things. I don't want no American on our team. I want to have a Filipino from the Philippines. That's probably where they're coming from. Doesn't make it right or wrong, but those are the ones. So if I, if I'm like, Ernie bothered by this. Ah, you never cater to 
the loud minority. I, I think they brought tremendous pride to Filipino Americans, Filipinos yeah. here in Hawaii. I know Kule Agbayani was glued to the screen. Also, like Ernie, cheering for the Philippine national team, commenting when it was 3-0 at halftime, still saying, they scored three in the first half. Why can't we score three in the second <laughs> half? She had that belief in them. It never materialized. There was another 3-0 in the second half for Norway. But a wonderful, wonderful effort for the Philippine national team. And everybody can be proud. These girls especially should be extremely proud. And they had an opportunity to play in the World Cup. And they would not have had that in America. Yeah. So they found an opportunity for themselves. More power to you. You brought pride to the country of the Philippines. You did nothing wrong. Uh, congratulations to all involved. Yeah. And in my opinion, I'm sorry. All those negative naysayers out there, I think just opens the floodgates. I mean, the, the Philippines itself is uh, is home to 120 million Filipinos. That doesn't account all the Filipinos uh, who have migrated. There's around the world. Around the world. I mean, like you said, one from Sweden, one, from, I mean, one from Norway, uh, Australia, Australia, Canada, you know, yeah. they, they, they all played in this particular World Cup. I mean, there's a 16 year old out in Texas who, who's going to come. There's one playing for Stanford Cardinal next year. Uh, and I'm just surprised there was no representation from Hawaii because Hawaii has a tremendous amount of, uh, soccer players over here and, you know, I, I think the Filipino community represents well as far as soccer players are concerned in, in this particular state. So I'm looking for for those doors to open. You know, hopefully, hopefully uh, there's some young women out there who you know watch this national team and said, you know what, I'm gonna make myself available for this squad. You know, if they make it next year, I want to see if I can be part of it, could contribute to my heritage. You know, and get these guys more on the map. You know. And not lose six zero, even though it's prideful. <laughs> yeah, and then build, and again build from there. So that's gonna wrap up our show for this week. But before we leave, we do have to shout out the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. Thank you for letting us be a part of your Ohana. Remember, every morning, eight a.m. to nine a.m., wake up in the den with Kule Agbayani and Paul Breck. California Angel Baseball coming up soon. USC and Dallas Cowboy Football, as well as all your OIA Sports, HPU, and now Chaminade as well. They do a phenomenal job again, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. weekday morning, 7.60 a.m., 95.1 FM. Ernie, anything else? I'm good. All right, gang, until next week, the sports rivals are out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear.